This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 13th of October. And as always, I'm joined by my fully integrated co-host, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hello, Jan. Yes, fully integrated, fully deployed. And uh, we have a special guest. We have Chris Short from Red Hat, who's uh, kindly agreed to join us to talk through a bit of an intro to continuous integration, continuous deployment. Um, Chris is, uh, as I say, currently a Red Hat, but is a CNCF uh, ambassador, uh, a uh, a huge voice in the uh, the OpenShift community, and uh, an all round great person. So let's uh, let's get into it. Without further ado, let's find out all about CI/CD. Okay, so with that, here we have our special guest for today, Chris. Welcome, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Even better for the fact that we're here today to talk about CI/CD and uh, what it means. But uh, before we jump into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, tell us about uh, what brought you here. Well, I'm Chris Short. I work at Red Hat on the OpenShift team. But prior to that, I was a DevOps consultant and worked in DevOps and web operations teams for better part of a decade or over a decade, I should say. And prior to that, I spent over a decade in the U.S. Air Force doing pretty much the exact same thing, just more like take this box and make this box talk to each other somehow with magic, um, <laughs> aka technology and some sometimes Romex cables. Uh, but yeah, um, so I have a deep history and kind of like multi layers of the stack from like the switching hardware side all the way up to the satellite. So it's an yep. uh, interesting perspective that I have on things. And then uh, you know, here at Red Hat, I'm working on the OpenShift team, so it's a lot of Kubernetes. It's a lot of pipelines and getting people onboarded into, you know, our OpenShift product, uh, which is, you know, our Kubernetes offering, essentially. Um, you know, like Amazon and Azure and everybody else has a Kubernetes offering these days. Uh, 99 problems and OpenShift ain't one. Um, <laughs> so the, um, the experience that I bring is the, the kind of combo platter of, of DevOps and, and cloud native experience. I'm also a CNCF ambassador on top of a newsletter writer and other things. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so the the sort of the, the things that we are here to talk about today, CI CD or continuous integration, continuous deployment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what let's let's start off with the very most basic question. Although it's not quite as basic as, as I think uh, we're we're probably going to get into. But what is uh, CI/CD? What does it What does it mean? Well, the two terms are often used together, but they actually have two separate meanings, right? So CI is one thing, and CD is another thing. Um, mm-hmm. CI is the process of integrating code into your mainline code base, like in a continuous fashion, right? So you're committing to master frequently, but through a you know staged process so that you know buggy or bad code does not enter production hopefully cd is the actual process of that happening and then it's integrated into the apps and delivered to users kind of automatically right so that's why it's often used in pairing 
um, because CI takes it to the point where it's like, okay, it's in the main code base. When do we release? CD says, all right, we're taking it. It's in the code base and we're automatically releasing. And that's where kind of, you know, the whole DevOps thing comes from. And, you know, a lot of components of CI, CD and DevOps and even Kubernetes these days kind of all tie hand in hand together. Yeah. So let, let's let's take these these two halves of the the whole process and go into a, a little bit more depth. So the continuous integration, that whole cycle. You talked about, you know, a developer working on on a project, committing to main. Typically, you know, a lot of projects there's there's more than one person. So how mm-hmm. how does this sort of thing scale? How do you make sure that uh, multiple people can continue working on something? And uh, and have this this whole process still still run through, right? So there's there's a term that's kind of developed over the years. It's called a pipeline, um, and you know it's that can be a nebulous term, obviously. But uh, think of it as like a software delivery process, and that software delivery process has gates in it, and essentially those gates can be right like developer on local machine has various extensions to check code. And then commits that code to a repo. And then there's other tests, automated testing, integration testing, unit testing, any kind of testing you want, security scanning, everything else kind of built into that pipeline so that as people commit, they get bulked up into actual releases that can then get, you know, pushed into different environments as they go kind of thing. Um that's a lot to kind of unpack. So if you want to dive into any aspect of that, let's please dive in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to stay, you know, I guess high to high to mid level this, this, um, this cycle through. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's definitely enough meat on this topic, I think, to revisit a couple of times. So let's, uh, let's see how we go. So with, with that being the, the, the CI, the continuous integration part, you know, next up, continuous deployment. The so you've got all this code; it's all been continuously sort of committed into exactly integrated. You've got it um, in a position where it's all it's all running, all the tests are passing, everybody's happy. Um, you know, maybe some tests aren't passing, stuff gets rejected, and and people have to go and work away on that. But like the the CD, the continuous deployment thing, how how does that actually um, operate, or what? Are, no, I suppose what are different ways that people see um, the continuous deployment sort of cycle operating? So that yeah, like the mechanics, I guess, is what you're asking, right? Like, yeah. how do you make CD CD? Um, so like, remember the continuous deployment piece is. The, the hard part, right? Like you have to figure out how frequently you're able to deploy, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got to start measuring things in a way where it's like, do you blue green deploy? How do you deploy? When do you deploy? Do you want to deploy in off hours only? Do you want to deploy continuously throughout the day as features are solidified, right? Like there's a lot of decisions that have to get made before you say, all right, now we're doing CD. But remember, Doing CD is like big leagues. So like your testing and your your frameworks and pipeline has to be very strong before you get to that point where I think you can be like 
feature releasing hundreds of times or thousands of times a day, like a big company like Facebook or AWS or somebody like that, where the features are constantly just getting committed into the interface, you know, throughout the day. And you don't even notice as a user, but you're, you know, hitting different versions of the software constantly. Um, and the way some of these services are working now, they're so decoupled that, you know, the backend messaging bus on a service could get upgraded seven times and you never would notice, right? Like, yeah. but it's, you know, been patched and modified and, you know, tweaked and, you know, had numerous issues automatically kind of iterated out of the system as time has gone forward. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where how you do it really, really matters because your yeah. team has to be intimately familiar with it because you're literally pushing things out to users directly and they're testing it. So you hear the term blue, green, or sometimes it's, you know, referred to different color schemes or whatever. Um, but there's that slow kind of introduction of the new release. And then eventually that load balancer is sending all the traffic to the new release and you shut down the old release essentially. And the ways you can do that, gosh, there's so many ways to do that, but I've seen it done with, everything from like cron jobs delivering tar balls to servers and you know scripts unpacking them and then just restarting the service right like it works uh i've set up uh you know i'm very proud of one of the first ansible you know pipelines i set up uh for an uh, essentially a data center company in north carolina um they had problems with their portal was hundreds of java applets Getting it deployed took a lot of time and, you know, automating the deployment process to where it was essentially CI, we hit the button and it would do everything for us was game changing, right? Like then you get the CD and you're like, the button's going to get pushed automatically as soon as all the tests and checks are done and passing. Um, how do you want to manage that? There's a lot of different ways. That tarball get scenario is kind of awkward nowadays. You know, we've we've <laughs> evolved from that. Uh, there is a tool that is like literally glues together the internet right now called Jenkins. That is kind of the grandfather of them all, uh, as far as that CI/CD tooling goes. But then, you know, as time has evolved, we've seen things like GitLab Actions or GitHub Actions pop up and GitLab CI and, you know, new tooling around cloud native ecosystems like Tecton and Jenkins X is based on Tecton and, you know, Jenkins X is Jenkins new, you know, cloud native way of doing CI CD. So, you know, there's, and then you have services like Travis CI and, um, drone CI. Yeah. 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 Like, like, and I look at it as kind of like three generations, right? Like mm -hmm. Jenkins being like the first big generation of CI CD. The next one was that, you know, Travis CI drone CI where you could actually have your, you know, web hooks and everything with Git and, you know, going into where it could just automate the deployment for you. And now you're getting into where it's like, I want continuous deployment every time I get a good release of a container image where that's mm -hmm. where things like Tecton comes in running inside Kubernetes yeah. and OpenShift. And it's it's very complex to set up at times, but it could be very easy depending upon what you're trying to do. And, you know, it's it's funny that the uh, the this is the Roaring Elephant podcast, because what I tell people is, how would you eat an elephant? It would be one bite at a time. Right. You would don't you would don't try to swallow the entire problem. You try to break it up into multiple pieces that you can iterate on. Right. Yeah. So you kind of 
you kind of have to break down some cultural issues as you go. Uh, this is as much a cultural change as it is a software change. Very yeah, interesting. So. Uh, am I right in thinking that CI is mostly software, while CD is software and infrastructure, so software and hardware? Because I would assume there's a lot more dependencies on third parties. If you're um, in public cloud, definitely. If you're in multi yeah, data so, centers. I mean, really depends on the shop you're, you're in, mm -hmm. right? Like CI could be 100% API calls to AWS, right? Mm -hmm. Like that just could be the pipeline you're using. Um, you could use something like Azure DevOps, which is a horrible name for what is essentially a good product. Um, <laughs> trust me, I castigated them years ago when they came out with the name of it. Um, what the hell are you thinking? Um, anyways, the, uh, the, the the how you do it i think matters less right like i read a newsletter called devopsish and it's based on three pillars people process and tools and it's in that order for that reason you should focus on the people part first the process part second and the tooling that those people you know implement the process with matters way less than you think it does um you need something that works for the team that's what matters most to me right like as as somebody that's worked in open source for a very long time worked in it even longer right like i believe technology exists to make humanity better right like not to make us suffer <laughs> so like eliminating <laughs> I do. Is a big part of my game and cicd is a good way of kind of saying let the computers do what the computers are good at looking at code and let the humans do what they're good at solving problems and that makes the the technology advancing humanity thing a reality, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, it's it's all part of a wider you know way to do things that is more holistic in thinking. And it is a culture shift for a lot of companies that sometimes they can't embrace fully and they fail at it. And I've been part of those embraces and failings, and it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with the people process tool, but isn't it also because there's a luxury situation these days? Because if you started this 10 years ago, you didn't have the plethora of tools to select the mm -hmm. ones that fit best with your culture yeah, approach. You kind of had to do tools first. <laughs> but today, yeah. because CICD for a lot of companies is still new with something they haven't done yet is looking oh, at absolutely. the May start yeah. with it. But it's been going on for quite a while, right? This is not something... Mm -hmm. Well, you say it's for the big league if you go CD, but it's not bleeding yeah. edge anymore. It's thought out. It's mature. It's normal, it's normal right? Like, I mean, I, the way I describe it now, if you go look at uh, the Accelerate book uh, from Nicole Forsgren, Jez Humble, that team, if you look at it, like their leading edge performers, and especially when you look at the most recent state of DevOps reports, um, they're all doing CD. Right. Like and they're all advancing their their companies and their. Uh, gosh, what's the word I'm trying to think of uh, their their business problems are getting solved faster and they're delivering value to their customers in a, a more efficient and effective manner. And solving customer problems is what businesses are here to do. And if your software is in the way of that, mm -hmm. CICD is a good way to get it out of the way. Right. And let you get back to the problem at hand, which is solving the business problems your businesses or organizations are good at. Um, and that's kind of what my goal in life is, is to get 
the 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 people solving problems, uh, not figuring out how to get the infrastructure to work. So, obviously, continuous integration, continuous deployment, a bit like peanut butter and jelly for those people that like that sort of thing. Um, very much better together. Is there ever mm-hmm. any case where it would where it might make sense to do one and not the other? Yes. If you are in a uh, unstable environment, right? Like you're not mm-hmm. going to jump straight into CD, right? Like if you're in a highly regulated environment, right? Like you might not be able to do CD until you get some regulatory things figured out. But trust me, there's every industry in the world has done CD. So there's like ways of interpreting regulations to do it, right? So yeah. it's it's a lot of times, right? Like I tell people, right? Like CI is your, CD is your goal, but CI is like the ultimate right win for you because then at that point, it's just how do we get from the thing is in our repo as good code to it's now running in prod, right? Like there's an infrastructure piece to that that you have to figure out, like you mentioned. But um, once you get CI, you get so much, right? Because it's just getting integrated and tested and it's off, right? Like you can start really focusing on more business logic and less yep. toil. Yeah, and it like even if you're in the position where maybe you you don't run a SaaS platform, you're you're not a Google or a Netflix or a whatever. Maybe you do ship software to your end customers on a a more you know uh, leisurely cycle, should we say? Like the yeah. still. I mean, I have a thumb drive still called Sneakerness, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. There's like there's still ways that you can get benefit from CD in that case. Be like you can still do a lot of your own, um, you know, your own internal deployments and that sort of thing to make sure that when it comes to that final, right. I don't know, like quarterly ship or whatever it is you do for mm-hmm. for code to customers, like it's not the first time that that entire sort of set of code has been nailed together at that particular point in time. You've been building that and deploying it internally multiple times you know a day a week a month an hour there's a lot there's there's a lot of examples in um the department of defense of folks that are doing ci Mm -hmm. but the actual delivery because oftentimes it's like a tank or a vehicle or something a vessel right like it only comes in for maintenance and can take downtime for a certain period of time right so you see a lot of ci happening and then like the cd portion happens separately in dod spaces often because of the nature of just you know things moving around um and i've I've seen that work very effectively uh for a lot of people actually uh the british army is doing it right now for a lot of their uh you know fleet of vehicles and everything so the the amount of like ci that you can do right dev stage and then you know your final releases uh you can then cd or you know hand off as a you know in that traditional kind of tarball or dvd kind of way you know like the box set how you bought windows 98 in kind of deal um yeah and there's the dog (laughs) you like dogs that's good love my dog i have so many outtakes trust me (laughs) Uh, can i ask a question i had a 
because you mentioned earlier that uh, regulation could get in the way of doing CD, but I've actually been thinking about uh, finance customers that actually had the obligation that all of their software or deployment had to be a single button press and it all happens. So I would kind of yeah, think that that's that actually leading towards the CD thing more than blocking it. You see a lot of financial industries like pushing faster in this direction because they realize there's advantages and safety in speed, right? Like we've been built to think that safe is slow, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the physical space, that is entirely true. But in the virtual realm uh, with computers, right? Like it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. Like the speed of your system is the speed of your system. Whether you let it go as fast as it can and push things out to production as fast as it can is entirely up to you, right? Like going slow in software is actually an anti-pattern, right? Like you will digress. You will not be able to move things faster. There's a great example of this recently with uh, Evernote. They just had a piece in investors.com about, or Forbes, I think, um, about how like their monolith was just, Un, completely unusable to the point where no one could actually do anything with the product and the company did stagnate as a result mm -hmm. and now they've they've decoupled some things they've completely refactored their monolith and they spent a year plus doing it and they had to take care of all that technical debt because they didn't have these systems in place to begin with which is one of those stories where it's like ha you're trying to build a hundred year company evernote but you buried yourself in technical debt in the process. This is a lesson learned for everybody else in the process that can you can recover from these things, but you will sustain a massive loss. Yes, Evernote has 250 million users. That's great for them. But like their cachet in the community was just completely destroyed in those years that they had to refactor because the product was stagnant and people love change. Yeah. Despite what they think, people really do love shiny new. <laughs> no kidding. But it's also, I mean, if you're going to go CICD, there is a bit of an upfront cost of labor, right? I mean, you have to set things up in a more complicated, harder way to reap the benefits down the line. And the benefits, I think, have been proven are tremendous. Is it harder, in... though, than getting waken up in the middle of the night with broken software? Yeah, but that's later. That's not now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a fallacy, right? We People looking short-term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the poor ops people don't get factored into estimates. No. Yeah. Um, you know, the the, pro, the the thing is, is that you probably have allies and ops you don't know about that will happily help you build these things. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Like that was one of the reasons, you know, I mentioned the the data center company where we built out the, the Ansible pipeline to deploy the, the, the portal for the company's, you know, like interface into the hardware uh, in the data centers. Right. Like. I started on the op side and said, okay, what can we fix to make this process better? And then I showed those wins to the devs and I was like, what can I help you with now? Because I think I've accomplished all I can without having to interact with you. And they saw some benefit and some gain in doing this in a more continuous integration manner. So then I started working with allies on that team and it made the effort more collaborative and more win-win. Because I spent less time on the phone, you know, bridge doing releases and they actually got to bed by nine o'clock at night, you know, <laughs> as opposed to being up all night. So it really was a win-win once it all came together. There was a lot of work to get it there, 
But once it got there, it was amazing. And it was just shared knowledge, right? Like we didn't have great documentation between how the application was built and how it was deployed. It was all stuck in people's heads. So the second we democratized that knowledge, people could actually dive in and be like, oh, that's how this works. I would like to tweak this a little bit and optimize it. And like we actually got devs working in Ansible and like, like working together with us. It was really, really, really enlightening and very inspirational story. That's also why DevOps is kind of necessity in this kind of stuff, right? You still have the organization of the developers. You're, you know, if your company's scared by the term DevOps, don't call it that. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> have them work together and not have the isolation right. of Dev right. and Ops, but have that integration. Stop throwing things over a wall, right? Like we know that doesn't work. We know that your competitive advantage is gone if you're doing that, yeah. right? Like you have no competitive advantage if you're still throwing things over the wall. Your 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 competition is far past that. So with. I, the the one of the comments that often comes up, and we we've talked about a little little bit around the the CD part of it, around the frequency and different organizations need to find a different cadence or a different set of gates or that sort of thing. But one of the comments that often comes up with CI/CD is the the frequency versus the stability and kind of reliability. Like, are there any sort of guidelines or suggestions that you can make around how people should sort of think about that side of things? The data indicates that releasing more frequently increases safety. And why is that? Well, when you're releasing faster, you catch problems faster, mm -hmm. right? So if you're, you can then build testing to find those problems faster, right? Like if you're starting from scratch, and building out these systems, you need to figure out how to make them as lean and fast as possible. That way you can iterate on them as quickly as possible. Um, that sounds lofty and, you know, like unicorns and rainbows and stuff. I get it, but <laughs> it can happen and it does work. Uh, I've, I've done it personally, right? Like the, the start small, right? Like, and then release more things more frequently and you will see massive benefit because you'll suddenly they'll be like there's just one error we get like every fourth release and it's because we do this one thing and it's oops the wrong process and we need to fix that right like you find the problems as you're building out the ci system right like and you can iterate on that ci system faster because it's exposed to everybody right like hopefully you're sharing it across your entire you know software you know maintainer chain right like if it's everybody from dev to the person pushing the button to send it to ops should be able to look inside this repo of whatever kind of code, be it Terraform, Ansible, Chef, Puppet, whatever you want to use, you know, Azure DevOps, GitLab, GitHub, whatever it is, like everybody should be able to look in here and be like, oh, that's not right. And make, you know, a pull request or, you know, a comment or something, create an issue to indicate that like this could create problems. And you know, the more tooling you integrate into your pipeline, the easier it is to find these problems, right? Uh, <laughs> one of the, the, the interesting use cases I have, you know, I work at Red Hat. I'm I completely, this is a 100% Red Hat story, but like one of the tools that one of our customers integrated into their pipeline actually exposed like a kernel issue between their database and like the version of kernel they were running that like their database vendor nor them 
knew about until they integrated this into their pipeline. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, by the way, yes, this is possible, but there's this known bug with this kernel version and this database version. Maybe you should change something. So like you find tools that work in your pipeline like this and can actually enable you to find problems faster that you would never have known about otherwise because you then in, you can then integrate services that have intelligence and knowledge that your organization would never have and you can learn from them and that shared learning and iterating on that is what makes people uh, or organizations gain competitive advantages very quickly. Devil's advocate, is there a danger of going too fast, trying to be too agile, too quick, too too flexible? When do you, so, as a yeah. company, when do you notice that you've gone too far? You have gone too far when you run into what I call the dark side of DevOps. Um, so I have a personal story. This is actually a talk of mine that I do. Uh, I worked at a company for a total of six weeks. Uh, Two of those weeks was because I put in my two weeks notice. Um, the the ops team, I was brought in to kind of like write the ship, right? To write the DevOps ship and, you know, get everybody involved. But the problem was I was not informed of an IT mutiny. <laughs> Literally 95% of the IT team stood up one day and left the company in mass because they were pushing DevOps from the dev side without even talking to ops. There was no collaboration whatsoever. It was all dev saying, move faster, move faster, move faster, move faster, move faster. It completely failed. The company brought me on board because they were acquired by a small company <laughs> called IBM for a billion dollars. Um, and then, what was it? I think a couple of years ago, they actually ended up writing down that as a loss because wow. the adoption was so poorly done that they never got anything out of it. Right. Like it, it was just a, a total, total mess. And when I say total mess, I mean, like, you know, their office is in like the typical commercial office plex or whatever. And they had production workloads. In. Like <laughs> it was a full on disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Unmitigated disaster. So and like I don't even put it on my resume, but I'll, I'll happily talk about it all day long because it was a tremendous learning experience for me. It, it like. Sometimes companies fail, completely fail. And we need to be okay with that as a society, right? Like we've, and we've, we've had, you know, 200 plus years of, you know, the United States being around. We've had a hundred years of, you know, the industrial revolution, the post, you know, the web revolution, you know, all this stuff. Like we need to be okay with failure and we need to embrace failure holistically and learn from it in a much 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 more embracing and, and collaborative way yeah it's it's that it's that point there we need to learn from it you know the the, the old saying about those who don't learn from their mistakes are doomed to repeat them i think is is particularly uh, apt here there are so so many opportunities to learn but if you ignore all of them like prepare for a world of, of pain, misery, and suffering because those cycles well, will just no, continue this, to go around. This was real suffering. I mean, when, when I, I mean, I would go to work every day and I would just hate it because I knew, I knew what was on the horizon. You know, I could see it coming. Uh, and then like what the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm putting in my two weeks notice. I'll go find a job elsewhere. Like literally there's, 
I don't think I can save you, right? Like I'm not the guy, right? Like there is way more wrong here than I can help you with. Um, they literally offered to fire everybody uh, the week before Christmas. <laughs> no, I will not morally bankrupt myself for DevOps. Sorry, I'm out. Uh, like that's literally what just pushed me over the edge that this was just the untenable situation that I could not solve on my own. And I did not have like my own team's backing of what I was trying to do. So you got to get buy-in. That's the biggest thing, right? Yeah. Like, and sometimes that buy-in is some between one ops person and one dev person. <laughs> and they're just, they're just trying to work together and build some wins and mount those wins up to show to other people. But like, you know, I work in technical marketing now and I tell people all the time, like DevOps has so much to learn from marketing and marketing has so much to learn from DevOps, right? Like the idea of, you know, what we're doing now, uh, like flipping the marketing funnel on its head, you know, in the time of COVID, because, well, guess what? You want qualified leads. Well, getting people to register for an event is not going to happen, hmm. right? People are burnt out with the virtual events. Yeah. Why not just live stream everything? You know, get get the people to come to you and engage with you. And, you know, we'll flip the funnel on the head for you. And, you know, here's highly engaged people. Um, they didn't register. They're just super interested. They want to get this problem solved. And we showed them how. Um, here's a qualified lead. Uh, and we do that on this thing called OpenShift TV. And I'm going to plug it because that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, that's literally yeah. my day and life is is live streaming now. So um, that's a, it's like I tell people, the coolest thing I get to do these days is tell my friends, kids, I'm on Twitch. Uh, and then they <laughs> all freak out. That, oh, my God, you have a Twitch channel? I'm like, yes, actually, I stood it up for my work. Wow, you're so cool. Yeah, no, it's it's literally just live streaming, kids. It's, it's not that cool. Um, it's not quite TikTok, which I won't touch. But anyways, um, <laughs> we just added Periscope last week. So that's why you don't see it on the homepage here yet. Uh, still trying to work like some quality kinks out there. Um, not, you know, it's there. You, know, you get the notification when you go live on, on Twitter, but, you know, feel free. You know, we have an entire you know, lineup of shows, regular shows that we've got going on, right? Like we, we put out, we started this on Star Wars Day. We've got a Star Wars flag that I hung up just for the a special occasion. Um, and we've had over 200 hours of content since then. And, you know, May 4th to what is today is September 17th, 200 hours of content. That's a pretty good clip for, uh, you know, kind of a startup thrown together thing that we figured that we had to do because of the times we're in. And yeah. it's, it's been a pretty good success. Like I had somebody mad at me the other day because we're not using the actual Red Hat Twitter channel to stream to. They wanted me to add it. It's like, okay, that's a good problem to have. I'll take it, you know? <laughs> So we're, we're literally just trying to teach you how to use, you know, all this cloud native landscape of stuff, right? Like if you go to l.cncf.io and look at that cloud native landscape, it's huge. Yeah. It is massive, right? Like Red Hat has an opinion. It doesn't mean it's right. We're, we, we feel like we're Switzerland, right? Like we have to give people an option, but we want to be able to work with everybody. That's why we're a certified Kubernetes distribution. That's why we work so closely with CNCF. It's why I'm a CNCF ambassador. It's why I work at Red Hat. It's why I work on the OpenShift team. It's literally who I am. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So we've uh, we've scratched a bit of the surface of CICD. And uh, I think we're going to come back next episode and, uh, yeah, go a little deeper. Thanks, Chris. Really Thank appreciate you, your time so far. 
Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for the information. I'm, I'm learning a lot again. That's why I do this podcast. So thanks. Very happy to. So yes, that was part one of CICD with Chris Short. Um, great stuff so far. Really appreciate him taking the time to, uh, to speak with us and to uh, yeah share his thoughts with our audience. And uh, yeah, it's our first uh, episode that we've done with a guest since we've made the move to video and I couldn't think of a, a better guest to be our, our, our first guest in that space. So wonderful stuff and uh, looking forward to part two coming up next. Yeah, huge thanks to Chris for uh, living with our new technical, yeah, chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out in the end, but thanks a lot, Chris, for your patience and uh, helping us uh, deliver another great episode because uh, I think I said it at the end of the interview uh, of this part of the interview that I learned a lot already again looking forward to the next episode with the conclusion of the CACD story with Chris Short Indeed. and if you want to have more Chris Short uh, openshift.tv a lot of stuff there that's right and there'll be a link in the show notes but unless there's anything else from you Jan nope well in that case, that's all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell, you can comment all the YouTube things. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at roaringelephant tag and you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Integrated, Deployed, and Thoroughly Out There, Dave. And my name is Neverending, Jon. See what I did there? I do. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.